Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome, I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. I interview successful people whom I call elite entrepreneurs, and I thank you for joining us once again. This show is dedicated to helping you turn your vision into reality. And today we're going to discuss higher education leadership with Jim Gash. And I know you've done a little study of leadership here and there. You've read a few books. You've learned a ton. And you may have attended some lectures, webinars, or taken some classes that you may not have mentioned to me. And of course, I've brought on some excellent guests that talk about leadership from different angles. And I know you got a lot out of those past episodes also. But have you ever thought about getting a higher level education focusing on leadership? Now, you've done it all from working for employers and having your own business. I get that. And you've been in challenging leadership roles. I know. Well, today's your lucky day. Meet Jim Gash. He's the eighth president and CEO of the world famous Pepperdine University in Southern California. Actually, it's in Malibu. And as you know from my wedding nearly 30 years ago, I was married at the Stouffer Chapel at Pepperdine. You can still see a few of those photos on my about page at TonyDURSO.com. Now, Jim is an alumni of Pepperdine, and he's the first to be president. And he's also served at the world-famous Caruso School of Law since 1999. He travels the world performing transformative work in international justice reform. As an example, he's been to Uganda nearly 30 times with his students and alumni. In fact, he just got back from Switzerland, and I'm grateful he's taken the time to hop on our show. And by the way, if you like what I'm doing, please rate my show on your favorite podcast or video platform, or just go in the comments and say something nice. You can also go to TonyDURSO.com slash review and share this with your friends that you believe would be helped by this. I know you shared last week. This week, share with some more. All right, now let's get into it. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the Tony Dierso Show. Hey, Tony. How are you? Actually, let me just tell you that where I'm standing right now in my office, I can see the chapel where you were married. So it's still standing, um, and I appreciate you plugging the chapel and Pepperdine University. My pleasure and my honor. And, you know, from looking at it in the exterior, if you want to search and take a look at it from the exterior, you're just going to see it kind of looks a little plain. But when you walk inside, I mean, two, three story high stained glass windows. It's amazing. And again, you'll see some of the photos on my about page. And I I had the same effect. I was like, this is where, you know, my wife loves Pepperdine. And she said, we should get married here. And when we went up the hill and looked at the Stouffer Chapel, I was like, we're going to get married here. And then when I walked in, it was such a juxtaposition Amazing. And I hope that chapel always stays there because it's really, really that beautiful. Well, as long as I'm president, it will be here. And it is as, as beautiful as you say, perhaps even a little bit better, as is the entire view from the entire campus. Well, good. This is definitely nostalgia for me, a little going way back into uh, time here. It's absolutely beautiful. You're, you're at the beach. This is in Malibu, just the beautiful ocean. And I think we're going to wind up doing a a whole different show on this. So let me just kind of pull myself back 
We want to talk about higher education leadership. And probably to better introduce you to the audience, Jim, let's go back a little bit. Let's go follow your journey. How did it all start for you? Well, for me at Pepperdine, it started before I was born. My, my parents went to Pepperdine. My mom is a part of a long line of, of people in her family coming to Pepperdine, several siblings. And her dad actually worked at Pepperdine a few years after it was founded in the 1930s. And so as I was growing up, I thought, I'm going to Pepperdine because that's my family's uh, school. My dad uh, came to faith uh, while he was here as well. Uh, but when I got to high school, I realized I can't go to Pepperdine. It's like this realization hit me because I was a football player and I knew I was going to be playing in college and Pepperdine doesn't have a football team, at least not yet. No, actually, we're not going to have a football team. I don't want to raise any expectations. But so I went to a, a place called Abilene Christian University and played football there and just decided while I was there that I, I wanted to go to law school. And so I had an opportunity to meet with the then dean of the law school, Ron Phillips, and he described for me a place where students knew their professors and their professors knew their students, where, where the faith had a place at the table in the national civil discourse. And, and, and it was in Malibu. And so I thought, wow, that's where I want to go. So I did three years at Pepperdine, loved my time here at the law school and decided during law school that I wanted to come back and teach. So the dean told me, here's the five things you need to do in order to be actually a strong candidate to teach here. And I went off and did those things, including working for a judge in Houston and practicing law in Washington, D.C. And then in 1999, six years after I graduated, my dream came true of joining the faculty of the law school. And when I came, I thought, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I want to teach. I love the interaction with the students. I love the opportunity to cast a vision of what it looks like to practice law with integrity and with ethics and with honor. And then started doing a little bit more in administrative uh, the administrative realm. And then, as you, as you mentioned, I started going to, to Africa and trying to be helpful to, to them and some of their criminal justice things. And then uh, at some point um, while I was in Uganda, uh, AKB, our prior president, Andy Benton, announced that he was stepping down uh, the next year. And that's when the whole decision-making process uh, began. And, and my wife and I spent a lot of time praying about it and talking to folks. And there was a process where you could either apply to be considered, or you could be nominated. And, and uh, I decided that if I was the only one who thought I should be president, then that probably was an indication that I shouldn't be president. So initially, I, I waited to see if I was nominated. When that happened, um, went through the process and, and became, you know, the eighth president, as you mentioned, and have, have loved almost every minute of it. During COVID, it's been, it's been a challenge. But that's kind of the background of how I got here. I always wanted to be a wave. I got to be a wave as a law student, got to be a wave as a professor, and then um, now have, a, have what I believe is the greatest job in the world, something that uh, I couldn't be more excited to be part of an institution that values what I value and prepares students to lead. You're so enthused about what you do, Jim, and your passion really comes out. And I've seen a list of what you have accomplished with your team in through some of the challenges and trials of the past of the past year. It's astounding. And you do it with such vigor and enthusiasm. And not everybody wants to necessarily be a president or the CEO of a big major university. Why? Why did you want to do it? What's the purpose behind that? 
Well, it's a really good question. I would say that I didn't set out to be president of Pepperdine. As I mentioned, what I set out to do was to teach. But uh, you know, since I was a little kid, um, you know, I was the shortstop on my baseball team. I was the point guard on my basketball team. I was the quarterback on my football team, including uh, at Abilene Christian, and felt always felt comfortable with the ball, with with the opportunity to try and gather people around a shared goal and vision and to try to uh, cast that vision and then rally people to uh, to one another's side in order to do that. And, and, and when you participate in athletics, and I'm sure that's true in, in some other uh, endeavors, including in the arts, but the, the ability to, to be part of a team, to have a shared vision, to have each other's back uh, is, is a really satisfying thing to do. And I was just drawn to this opportunity when it came up. And so um, you know, being in the huddle, I mean, I, I liken people ask me, what's it like to lead the steering team? The steering team is the, is the 20 leaders of the university. And I was like, it's like being in a huddle where, where you got, you got somebody who is, who's an excellent sprinter and he can get open on the outside down the sideline. You got somebody who can, who can block, who, who has a different set of skills. You got somebody else who can run. And um, in, in some ways, I'm, I'm the quarterback coach, someone who, who um, you know, convenes the team. And, and there's, there's a variety of different strategies that we'll get into as to how, uh, how, to, how to lead effectively a team, particularly during a pandemic. But that's kind of what drove me is the, the desire, the eagerness to lead some you know, talented folks. We're speaking with Jim Gash, the president and CEO of Pepperdine University. And you can find more about him and the university at pepperdine.edu. And I will spell that. That's P-E-P-P-E-R-D-I-N-E dot E-D-U. And that begs the question, Jim, how did the name Pepperdine come about? Well, the name Pepperdine uh, is what George Pepperdine was born with. And so I'm not sure where that originated, uh, whether that was whether that was some sort of I don't know, family business where they sold pepper at a restaurant. I have no idea where, what's the origin, but George Pepperdine was the founding, well, the founder of something called Western Auto Supply. Started that in, in Missouri. Uh, he was the first person to sell spare parts for automobiles. So he started $5 catalog business where he sent out postcards and said, if you want to add things, to your automobile, little accoutrements or, or you know, uh, rear view mirrors or, or things of that, you know, back in that when the automobiles were, were new. I don't know exactly what that was. Or if you had replacement parts you needed, uh, you could sell them and, or you could buy them from him. And so he built a small business and then a bigger business and then it went national. And ultimately he moved to Southern California uh, really having to do with with uh, some health issues he was having. Western Auto Supply continued to grow. He decided that um, what he said is, my faith is my fortune. He wanted to establish a Christian university where young men and women were trained to lead through a Christian worldview. Started off in, in uh, downtown Los Angeles uh, on, um, uh, I'm trying to remember, Florence, uh, in the Inglewood area. And uh, we moved here in uh, the early 1970s to Malibu. And that was, um, that was 
quite a challenge to relocate from from where we were to where we are, but it has grown into, you know, as you mentioned, a national university where we have incredibly uh, successful athletics programs and arts programs. We have campuses all over the world where students study about 80% of our students end up studying abroad while they're here. And part of that is to help them learn to lead because if you're going to lead, you're going to be able to understand people who are different than you are and learn how to value um, the diversity that comes from knowing other cultures. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about higher education leadership with Jim Gash. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. In the competitive world of advertising, marketers are always looking for an edge to accelerate growth, reach new customers, and get measurable results. Today, they're turning to the best-kept secret in marketing, direct mail reinvented for the digital world by Posty, P-O-S-T-I-E. Posty has transformed direct mail by adding all the digital marketing capabilities found in channels like Facebook, Google, and YouTube. In my day, I did a lot of direct mail. Back then, you had to get the company's mailing list printed on a tape or on actual sticky labels, and you would hand that to the printer who would print your material and then put the address on each one and then mail it out. It was a lot of work to do, and you only had access to your company's actual mailing list. Today is so different. For starters, you don't need your own mailing list. Posty takes care of that for you. Imagine that. Just give them your demographics of the ideal customer who would be interested in your company's products or services and see what they can do for you. And once it's set, it's so easy. Are you ready? You select your audience, upload the creative, and hit send. One, two, three. That's it. And you get to measure results in real time. Posty allows you to run direct mail like a digital marketer. Their platform is a one-stop shop that does it all for you. Build audiences, set up campaigns with A-B tests, approve creative and track results in real time. Think of it as your direct mail easy button. Posty integrates with your CRM, accesses data sets, and builds lookalike models from over 250 million U.S. consumers. With Posty, you narrow in on your target audience and reach customers that you don't find through other channels. Unlike the old way of doing direct mail, Posty is fast. Fully automated printing and logistics solutions allow you to deploy campaigns in days, not months. And I remember back then it was months. Posty campaigns allow you to attract new customers, retarget your website visitors, and re-engage your existing customers to increase lifetime value. Diversify your marketing and stand out with direct mail from Posty. Hurry and get your free Posty demo today by visiting posty.com slash D-U-R-S-O. That's posty.com slash D-U-R-S-O for a free Posty demo. Posty, direct mail reinvented for the digital world. That's P-O-S-T-I-E dot com slash D-U-R-S-O. All right? Check it out and tell me how you like it. Posty.com slash Dierso. 
You're listening to the Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Erso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Higher Education Leadership with Jim Gash. And thanks for listening today, FYI. Now, there are many ways to listen to my show. I'm on Roku, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other platforms. Please check your favorite podcast place to see if my show is there. Let me know if not. And an easy way is to go to tonydurso.com slash podcast. You'll find every podcast on that page back to the beginning days of when I first started as Revenue Chat Radio. Have some fun, have some laughs, and learn from our elite entrepreneurs to help you in your business. All right, and now back to the chat with Jim. And that's, that's the background of Pepperdine. we got five schools, the undergraduate, the law school, the policy school, the graduate school of education and psychology, and the business school. And uh, we're now offering many of our, our degrees other than the, the undergraduate degree online as well. So there's plenty of ways to, to, to go to school in, at Pepperdine without actually having to bear the heavy burden of moving to Malibu. Let's get into your vision path now, and let's talk about how your vision has taken you to be at the forefront of higher education leadership training. Probably someone who's listening to this would have the same question. Why? Why is higher education leadership so important? Why would this be something that we need, Jim? Yeah, well, I think that all of us can look around right now at the state of our country, at the state of our community, the state of our world and, and um, recognize a gap. And that, for some people, that gap is huge. For some people, uh, that gap is, is not as big. But everybody understands there's a gap. And that gap really is figuring out how to, uh, to work together, to respect one another, to be honorable with each other. So part of that is, is civil discourse, discussing difficult issues with honor and respect with valuing truth at the center of the inquiry. And that's one of the challenges we all see right now is it's not about truth way too often. It's about perspective. It's about gaining an advantage. It's about uh, forming identities that differ from each other. And so what, what we try to do at Pepperdine is to instill upon, instill into them that they are, they are part of something that's much bigger than themselves. And that's our Christian faith. Uh, that is uh, the community in which they live. That's the vocation for which they're being prepared. So we have an institution that, as I mentioned, sends them around the world to gain a better, deeper, wider perspective that allows them to then ask hard questions of each other and to do so in ways that lead to learning rather than simply to positioning. So the goal is for us to take a student from really their parents' island that they come to us from and prepare them after these four years or graduate school, perhaps shorter, to prepare them to be leaders who understand uh, the larger picture and can do hard things and can do them together. Because as we've seen, our world is increasingly challenged in doing hard things. Our, our mental health around 
uh, not just college in, colleges and universities, but ar- around the world is is dropping dramatically. That that the instances of depression and anxiety and even suicide are are on the rise, and that has to do with quite a few things, including social media. But our goal is to be the antidote to that, and so our students are prepared to lead when they leave Pepperdine. And you know that makes me think, Jim. There's different styles. People believe in different ways to be a leader. And I like to hear your take on it. Is there a, a style that you feel is more unique or more beneficial or more helpful? And why is a style important? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I have had the privilege of being mentored by some incredible uh, women and men in my life who have showed me what it looks like to be a Christian lawyer, to be uh, an incredibly responsive spouse, to be a really good father, to be an excellent colleague. And I've, I've watched them and I've watched them closely and tried to figure out what was inspiring, what was something I wanted to emulate, and what were some things that I wanted to do different than these, than these men and women. And so that's kind of the approach I have taken is developing my own style, but really based upon mentors. And so what that looks like for me is, uh, is really kind of four-pronged. Four uh, I look to be relational, collaborative, deliberative, and decisive. So let me unpack that. Relational. The, the, the best way to develop and lead a team is to have trust among a team. You cannot work together toward a common vision uh, with any level of success unless you trust one another. And so in order to do that, you have to know each other. And I mean, not just know about each other, but spend time together to know their families, to know what matters to them. One of the things that I do, every interview I conduct, the first question is always the same. And this is for whatever position I'm interviewing for, whether I was at the law school as a professor or as an administrator or now. The, f- question, the first question I start with what are the three most important things in your life and why? I want to know what matters to you. Where do you derive meaning? When you get up in the morning, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Because we know, we know ourselves and others know us by what matters to us. So I want to know you. And that's the relational part. And so I will usually tell everybody at the end of that interview, well, by the way, here's the answer for me. I want you to know me. I want to know you, but I want you to know me. Trust and respect are given before they're received. And so, so I, I tell them, here's what matters to me. My faith in Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I seek to be um, obedient to him in all that I do. I'm, I'm not nearly as good as that as I would like to be. But that's the most important thing in my life. And if people want to work with me or know me, they need to understand that. They don't have to agree with me, but they should know that about me. The second thing is my family. And as I said, my parents went to Pepperdine my wife went to Pepperdine. My kids went to Pepperdine. My, my family is, is quite connected, and they are involved in everything I do. My wife travels with me. As you mentioned, I was just in Switzerland visiting one of our overseas campuses. She was with me. We were at donor dinners in Seattle two nights ago, and, and last night in Portland, she was with me. She's part of this. And so if you want to know me, you want to know what, what, what matters to me, you're going to know my wife, and you're going to know my kids. And the third thing is Pepperdine. Like, and I can't tell you what the fourth is. The, 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 who we are and what we stand for is so important to me that it's in the top three. And my job allows me to combine all three of those into daily action. So the first thing is relational. 
know your team, your team knows you, deeply get deeply committed to each other, and they can develop trust. The second thing is collaborative. So we can email each other, we can get on Zoom together, or we can sit down, look each other in the eye around the table like you're in a huddle. I mentioned, you know, my, my time in athletics has been formative for me. And so collaborative, we get around a table and we put the subject, the topic, the, the challenge in the middle of the table and try to look at it from every side, which is why you want people who are, are wide receivers, running backs, linemen, you know, quarterbacks. Everybody can look at something from a different perspective, whether they're, they've got something in their family history or in their cultural background that can help see that from a different angle. And we talk through things. Oftentimes I'll tell somebody, okay, really good argument, argue the other side. I want to hear the other side. I, I don't want to hear, I, want, I don't want you to tell me what you think I want to hear. I want to hear the opposite argument. Why should we not do that instead of why we should do that? Because every decision is, is, is weighing costs and benefits. That's, that's all of life is weighing costs and benefits. So collaborative, relational collaborative, and then deliberative. We have to then go deep into that. And part of what we're trying to do is scenario plan. Well, what if we decide X? Then what are, what are the seven steps that happen after that? You're playing chess. You're not playing checkers. You're playing chess. It's three-dimensional. Always trying to figure out what it is that will happen. What's the equal and opposite reaction that's going to, to occur after you make this decision? So you've got to understand that. And finally, decisive. You have to make a decision. It, it does nobody any good for 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 relationally connected, collaborating, deliberative people to look at each other and tell, you know, it's time to go to bed. You have to make a decision. Sometimes that decision, and it's happened in COVID, is, is that we said, we don't have enough data points to make a full and final decision. We can decide that after we get these next three data points, then we will make the final decision. But in the end, you have to make a decision. And if you're a leader, that's you. Now, also, if you're a really good leader, then you're going to figure out that there are some people in your organization that have more information, have better insights into a particular topic than you do. And you have to trust them. So to me, uh, I, I tell my team, decision-making authority rests where accountability lies. So if you're accountable for this deliver, delivering you know, the academic side or the fundraising side, then the decision-making authority will presumptively uh, lie with you. Now, in the end, I will have to ratify or overrule that decision, but my presumption is going to be that if they're accountable for that particular uh, delivery, then they're going to be um, empowered to make that decision. So relational, collaborative, deliberative, decisive. That's kind of how I roll in my uh, leadership style. That's extensive, very detailed this is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about higher education leadership with Jim Gash. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Entrepreneurs around the world know that agility and flexibility are integral to building businesses that's scale, and that's across all your core functions. I recently came across a company that thinks about payments through a radical new lens, Checkout.com. I like that they help you unlock more revenue with their connected payment services. There's connected and then there's super connected technology 
And that's what Checkout uses. They have world-class fraud filters. They make payments seamless, and that's a great thing. Did you know that merchants lose over $20 billion due to false declines? Wouldn't you love to capture more of that? And before I go on, did you know that 65% of merchants surveyed do not receive detailed raw response codes on failed payments? That's a huge percentage. I've been reading their free report and I am astounded at the money lost. In a survey of 5,071 consumers across four countries, 52.1% were put off permanently from shopping on a site because of the complexity of the payment process. Can you believe that? Ouch. Could this be why you're not getting as many sales as you think you should? Are you leaving money on the table? You know, just having an online checkout and taking credit card payments is actually the beginning of the story. Checkout.com is a leading cloud-based global payment solutions provider for brands across the globe like Pizza Hut, Wise, Klarna, Revolut, and Samsung. Checkout's payment platform is purpose-built with performance, scalability, and speed in mind. Ideal for merchants looking to seamlessly integrate better payment solutions globally. Checkout.com offers improved acceptance, better and more actionable granular data, a flexible product structure that merchants can adapt to their needs, combined with truly personal white glove service. Learn how to optimize your authorization rates with Checkout's free guide to better payments performance. This guide is full of expert advice and merchant insights to fast-track your path to unrivaled payments performance. Request a free no-commitment demo at checkout.com slash D-U-R-S-O. That's checkout.com slash D-U-R-S-O for a free demo. Checkout.com slash D-U-R-S-O. And that's C-H-E-C-K-O-U-T dot com slash D-U-R-S-O. All right, check it out and tell me how you like it. Checkout.com slash D-U-R-S-O. You're listening to the Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Erso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Higher Education Leadership with Jim Gash. When you get a moment, please rate my show on the podcast platform you use to listen to my shows. If you have Apple Podcasts, that would be great. If you don't see anything there, you can always go to TonyDurso.com slash review and drop a kind one. I thank you kindly. All right. And now back to the chat with Jim. I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of very successful people with all sorts of teams, all sorts of people that they work with, that they rely on. You're the first person ever to mention you have a team that is devoted to leadership, a which is very unique to me. And, and you may have mentioned a little bit about what they do, but I'd like to focus more into what does a leadership team do? And maybe it'll give us some, uh, some insights for our own business and career. Yeah, well, one of the things that we did at the very beginning is um, I took the baton from my predecessor on August 1st and about four or five days later, we had a, a leadership retreat where we got together really to, to, to deepen this relational aspect of this. Uh, but we had, we had, um, 
we had, I distributed and we read together in advance a book called Speed of Trust. It's a Stephen M. R. Covey book. And uh, we had uh, Stephen M. R. Covey come. You know, it wasn't cheap, but it was certainly worth what we paid to have him help us think through what does leadership look like? What does trust building look like? And we made some commitments to each other that we would speak frankly with each other, that we would be transparent with each other, that we would hold each other accountable. We, 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 would, um, we wouldn't hold back um, our, 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 our views or feelings about various things. And so over the course of that year, we reminded ourselves on a regular basis the various things we decided at that leadership retreat. And so continue to, to, um, to drive deeper into the speed of trust. The second year, we read together a book called Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Again, you know, reading chapters together and having, this time we did it instead of, instead of one, one weekend retreat, we did it over the course of a year and went through chapters together periodically. Again, a book on leadership. This year, uh, our, our next retreat is, is in about three weeks, and that's going to be, um, we're, we're discussing uh, the, the relatively new Simon Sinek book called Leaders Eat Last. I'm not all the way through it yet, but it's fantastic. It's about culture. So the goal is to create and sustain a culture of leadership. And what we do is, is not just say, okay, what are the 20 of us going to learn from this? It's what are we then going to do to push down what we've learned into the, the, the next layer of leadership and then to the next layer of leadership and ensure that everyone understands what it looks like to lead and what the skills are, uh, what the resources are in order to successfully lead. Another thing that I do is, is uh, I started off with just my direct reports. I've got eight direct reports. The first year I said, I want all of you to do what I'm doing. And this is creating objectives and key results. I want, to, I want you to have you know, four to six, maybe seven objectives for this year. I want you to state what that objective is for the year. And how do we know if we got there? So what are the three or four key results that demonstrate whether we met our objective or not? So I, and I said, I'm going to do it and I want you to do it. The second year, I said, I want all 20 of you to do it. All, and give them to me. Like accountability is really important. Accountability is freeing because then you know what it is you're supposed to accomplish and you know that those who, with whom uh, you work are, are watching. And, and, and so there's, there's, some, um, there's some camaraderie that exists in, in everybody knowing here's the part of, of this journey that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be leading on. And then this third year, uh, I've asked them to do this with their teams. And so we're trying to create a culture that spreads throughout the university where everyone understands that they're not implementers only. They are implementers, but they're leaders as well. Again, going back to to decision-making authority rests where accountability lies. And everyone in the hierarchy, and I hate to use that term, but that's the reality, everyone in that hierarchy is accountable for something. And when they are, that means they're leading that. And when you're leading that, you take ownership of it. And when you take ownership of it, you're a whole lot more likely to succeed than if you're just waiting for someone to, to tell you what you're supposed to do. What's my task? You know, you, we don't work in widget factories where, you know, you put part A on, on sl- in slot B and then you do it again and again and again. 
everybody can lead and we want to empower them, even those who are farther down the food chain, so to speak. You've been to Uganda nearly 30 times. You said mm-hmm. 27. Yeah. And it begs the question, why Uganda? And yeah. what did you do there? Yeah, well, our, our, our students really is why. Uh, our students are such incredible leaders. And they had this heart. This is back in 2007. They had a heart to reach out and serve those hurting around the world. And so over the course of, of a semester, there was a group of, of, of students who had speakers come to campus and, and tell them, you know, what, what, what could we do to reach beyond our, our Malibu uh, borders, beyond our Los Angeles, beyond our California, beyond our United States. And so we had this international speaker series. And, and one of the guys, a guy named Bob Goff, who have often told people he ruined my life in all the right ways, um, just inspired our students to, to reach into this developing country called Uganda and to, to be of assistance to, to them as he was trying to, to help them with some of the things they were trying to do. And that kind of one thing led to another. And so I went there for the first time in, in 2010, January of 10, planning to be to do a one and done. This is going to be my volunteerism trip. This is going to be me showing my wife and my kids and my God that I could take a step of faith and try to do something for somebody else. But the, the, the life of that wasn't for me. I, 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 was a, I was a law professor. And then you, you go and you meet people and you see that the skills that you've been given through e- either through um, you know, birth or training uh, can be useful to these other individuals who are eager for your assistance. And so I met this boy in prison on the first trip who had been charged with a crime, who had not been convicted of the crime. He didn't have a lawyer he was waiting for someone to do something. And I, I realized that I could actually do something. On the way there, one of the other lawyers went with me. There were four of us. He told me this story. He said, this trip reminds me of the starfish story. I'm like, okay, what's the starfish story? And uh, he said, well, there's this, there's this um, kid, walk, there's this guy walking on the beach and he sees in the future, off in the, in the distance, somebody standing up and bending down, standing up and bending down. And he realizes it gets there. It's a young boy throwing starfish onto or into the water from the sand. And the man says to the boy, what, what are you doing? And the boy says, um, the sun is up and the tide is out and, and these starfish will bake in the sun unless I throw them back into the water. And the man says to the boy, there are starfish as far as the eye can see. How can you possibly make a difference? Boy bends over, picks up a starfish, throws it in the, the ocean and says, I made a difference for that one, didn't I? And so that was the mentality we had when we walked into this juvenile prison in January of 2019, so, sorry, 2010, there were, there were 21 kids just waiting for someone to do something. Again, no, no charges, uh, Charge them and file, no court date, no lawyer, just waiting for that to happen. And we figured out uh, that we could hire lawyers, prepare their cases and move the cases forward. And then, and then you get a little bit more involved in one of these kids, um, you know, his, his name was Henry, that I realized he'd been charged with a murder that I knew he didn't commit. And so we, I gave him my cell phone number. And that was a, 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 an odd decision that I didn't expect to make. And why did he have a cell phone? Because he was in charge of the juvenile prison and you know, you're in East Africa, there is, there's no electricity, there's no running water, but a kid's got a cell phone in a prison. Talk about bizarre. So we started talking after I got back, and then he was convicted of, uh, of murder, and then I came back the second time. He'd been asking me 
over and over and over again when we talk, Mr. Jim, when are you coming back to Uganda? And the day after he was convicted, I said, today. So I got on a plane that day and flew back to him and, um, you know, helped him move things forward. And ultimately, a couple of years later, argued his case in the Court of Appeals in Uganda. Um, only the second non-Ugandan ever to be allowed to do that. There was a Kenyan. He was exonerated. And now he has just finished medical school and is... Um, uh, changed my life because I realized, okay, we can be helpful. And then the, the judges start asking, well, what about this? Can you help us with this? And you can help us with this. And ultimately my family and I moved there for six months and uh, helped them create some new structures that they then expanded from the juvenile realm into the adult realm. And it's been a, a joy and an honor and a pleasure uh, to, to be partnered with my friends in Uganda. And in fact, 13 of them came to my inauguration, including Henry who uh, wasn't quite through with medical school when that happened. So that's kind of what happened. And I will tell you that, that I would not be the president of Pepperdine, I don't believe, had I not uh, gone to Uganda, that first simple yes, where I felt like, okay, God, I think you're calling me to Uganda. And, and what happened was, was I developed some skills. And so the, the, the regents told me, you know, what we're looking for is someone who has a global vision. Okay, check. Someone who was entrepreneurial, well, that had to be the case in order to get things done uh, in the developing world. Check. Someone who can speak in public. And well, I'd come back after we wrote the book, Henry and I wrote the book together uh, and did a speaking tour across the United States with him. We went to about, about 20 cities in five weeks and, and then there was a movie and we, we travel and I do a lot of speaking about what happened there and someone who can raise money, which is part of what I did in order to endow this program. So it just turns out you look back on it, it's, it's like that uh, slumdog millionaire type thing where like all of these things happen that seem to be random that uh, ultimately prepared me for this moment. And so when, when the region said uh, that we would like you to lead uh, this university, some of the things they talked about were directly traceable to that one decision to say yes to a one-time trip to the developing world. And, and uh, it's a gift that keeps giving. And Henry is someone who... Uh, I have probably more respect for than anybody else on this planet, just for what he has gone through and, and the, the resilience that he's demonstrated to become a doctor after being um, convicted of murder as a, as a 17-year-old. It's just, it's amazing. That is one of the most heartwarming and remarkable stories I think I've ever encountered. And it shows how, as a leader, one decision, a key decision, can have such a long-term effect. And I know that you've written a book with Henry as well. You've done tours with him. It's just absolutely amazing. I'm just, I'm spellbound by your good nature. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about higher education leadership with Jim Gash. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, 
self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You're listening to The Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Erso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Higher Education Leadership with Jim Gash. Check out my new book, Iman of Atlantis, I-M-E-N. Volume 1 is called Bitten. It's a fiction story about an amazing people forgotten about by most living on Earth, the Iman. It's a captivating story with constant thrilling twists and turns, and it's a unique world different from, but in the tradition of Tolkien, per the Tolkien Times, who did a rave review on the story. You can read the full description at Amazon or go to TonyDurso.com slash books and click on Iman of Atlantis. That's I-M-E-N of Atlantis. Check it out and tell me how you like it. All right. And now back to the chat with Jim. You have values and you display them. You show them. You you act on them. It's not just mouthing off and saying that you have values. You actually take action and display that you have them. It's just absolutely amazing. I, I can't say enough of how I feel about that. That is just so great. Well, that's kind of you and my publisher would be uh, angry with me if I didn't at least mention the title of the book. The, the book is called Divine Collision. And, and the, the documentary, the, the film that was, was made about this was, in, uh, was, was on PBS a couple of years ago. It's called Remand, R-E-M-A-N-D. You can look at it for remandfilm.com. You can watch the movie there. But I will tell you that, that the way I try to explain this is it's trading almost for more. There's so many times in, li- in our lives where we, like, we almost had the courage to ask her out, almost decided to take this risk with a business or, or, or with a uh, almost made a faith commitment. Almost, almost, almost is where so many people sitting on couches live. They live in the world of almost. And my encouragement is to say, you know what? I'm done with almost. I'm going to take some steps. Yes, there's fear. But for me, it wasn't just fear of failure. Everyone has fear of failure. All, all of us want to succeed, particularly when you're doing it publicly. What, what, is, what we need to acknowledge in, to ourselves and to others is there's the fear of success that perhaps is even bigger. So for me, I'm living in Malibu. I'm a professor. I've got an awesome life. Uh, life. I've got three great kids, an awesome wife. Why do I want to go to Uganda? Because if I go there and there's something for me to do, there's something that God has for me that I can be helpful on, then everything changes. And I don't want anything to change. I want to stay in Malibu. And so it was the fear of success, the fear of, of now there's a, there's a completely new chapter. I wrote, before I went to Uganda, I had written 42 chapters of my life. And I liked the book. Uh, again, an awesome family, teaching in, in Malibu, doing what I love to do. But at some point... That almost became, I'm, I'm done with almost. Let me just take the step of faith and say, God, you write the next chapter. Here's the pen. You write the next chapter. And it's completely different than I would have written. And it's ended up being so much rewarding, more rewarding uh, than, than I could have even imagined. There's been a lot of heartbreaks and heartaches. And when he was convicted of murder, 
that was one of the low points of my life. I mean, that was just, that was devastating. But when he was exonerated, which was captured on film in, in, in the remand film, that the, the filmmakers came and filmed us receiving the verdict, him in Uganda and me here, uh, that was one of the most exhilarating points in my life. And so, so I just, you know, encourage people to take that step. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, you might fail. Yeah, you might succeed. But um, don't just sit on the couch. Don't just sit in the comfortable. Trade almost for more. It'll change your life forever because it's a decision that you made that you acted upon. And I love the fact that you asked God to write the next chapter and what a chapter he wrote for you. That's amazing. It's been, and it continues to unfold. I mean, we're in the midst right now of a strategic plan. Uh, we're really, we're just finishing it. I started on August 1st of 2019. August 2nd is when we started the strategic planning and the final product, COVID slowed things a bit, uh, is, is now in the, in the Pepperdine community's hands on where we're going in the future, uh, where Pepperdine will be. And what I told everybody is I said, I want you, because this is a, a plan for 2030, I said, I want you to, to picture yourself in 2030 and picture yourself looking back on the last decade and being extremely proud and excited about what Pepperdine has accomplished. Now tell me what we accomplished. If you're standing there in 2030 and, and you feel really good about that last decade, what was it that we did? And so that, that kind of became the, 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 um, the basis for writing the next plan. And, and, you know, things will change along the way. There, there, when we started writing, there was no COVID. There was not this big uh, racial reckoning that we've been through uh, or we're in the midst of. None of that was happening. But we're learning to pivot. But we, we wanted to, to say, what, is this, what does success look like? And then, and then, of course, once you know where you're going, then, then it's all about uh, relational collaborative, dis- deliberative, decisive leadership on how to get there. And so that's what we've been, we've been doing. I like that. It's very akin to accomplishing one's vision. I have a book out called Create Your Vision. It's, it's hitting Amazon just about any time now. And I talk about you go into the future and you turn back and you look almost as if it's a movie or a dream of what you see yourself doing on this new endeavor or this new activity. And what are you doing? Because it's actually things that you're accomplishing. And, and it's sort of like Looking at a movie, it's like having a dream. I see myself doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. That helps make it accomplishable so much easier. You you can't go anywhere without knowing where you want to go. And so figuring out where you want to go is the first first step. And and then it's it's just getting off the couch or getting uh, away from your desk and going out and doing things and doing so with people that you trust. And I just can't emphasize that enough. I inherited an incredible leadership team and have had the opportunity to, to add to it and to help shape it into a team of the people that I would have hired had I started. And again, there's quite a few folks uh, that, uh, that were on that leadership team when I inherited it that are, that are there. But you, you can't afford to, you know, to drive a car that has three functioning wheels. Well, we know that doesn't work. And so you've got to ensure you've got the right people on the bus, in the right seats, as a, a quite famous author once said. I agree with that. You've got to get your team uh, where they can be most, most useful to the institution. Speaking of the vision and speaking of the future, is there anything that you'd like to share with us that you are working to accomplish in the next few years? I'd love to know 
What's Pepperdine going to be like in a few years? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, there's really five pillars that we're looking at as we move forward. And, and that's, you know, maintaining and even deepening our, our faith. And, and once again, we're a Christian university, unapologetically so. And we have people from different faiths or are not currently on a, on a faith journey who are every bit as important members of our community as others. And so we're, we're uh, welcoming uh, of people from all faiths, but ensuring that we don't lose that, uh, the DNA that, that George Pepperdine created. The second thing really is, is excellence. Excellence in all things. Yes, we're an academic institution and, and the search for truth uh, really has no fear from, from investigation. If you're truly committed to the truth, then you, you're not afraid of what you're going to find. And so excellence in all things, including academics and in athletics. You know, Pepperdine wasn't, won the national championship in Division I men's golf this year. Tenth uh, national championship in Pepperdine's history. We were second in the country in women's tennis, having beaten Stanford, Michigan, uh, North Carolina, UCLA on our way to a very narrow loss to the University of Texas. So excellence in athletics and in the arts committed to excellence in all that we do. We believe that that's a faith commitment for us is to be excellent in all that we do. To be committed to this alignment, this alignment among uh, our senior leaders, but also with the board to whom I report is to be completely aligned with them. So I have this incredible board chair that uh, I get to uh, collaborate with. She, she is the CEO of, of Sarah Cannon, which is the cancer research arm of HCA, the largest healthcare provider in the world. And we have a, a very close, committed relationship to where uh, we trust each other with everything. Her name's Deanna Smith, and she's phenomenal. The entire board, so alignment with the board and alignment below the senior leadership team with the next layer and the next layer and the next layer. And the, the, so the third is alignment. The fourth is belonging. This world is eager. Everyone in this world is eager to be part of something bigger than, than themselves. And so... So this, this racial reckoning that we've gone through, a, part, a big part of the challenges we faced is, is the exclusion that we've had in the past of, of people not, not letting those who aren't like them into the team, not, letting, not giving them a sense of belonging. And so that's a huge part of what we're doing. I've created a new position uh, just a few months ago called the Vice President for Community Belonging. We want people to know they're, they're a child of God and they're a wave. There are a lot of other things as well, but first of all, they're a child of God and they're a wave. The, f- the fifth thing is the global vision. Uh, Pepperdine, not just in Uganda, but my, my, my work with, with countries extends now to Rwanda and to Ghana as well, because they all said if Uganda can do it, then we can do it. And so that continues to expand. But we have study abroad facilities, meaning campuses that are Pepperdine's campuses in Buenos Aires, Argentina in Lausanne, Switzerland, in London, England, in Heidelberg, Germany, and Florence, Italy. And so, uh, as well as on, on 20th and Penn in Washington, D.C. And so having this vision that, that includes and encompasses the entire world that allows them to see not just what it looks like to be with people of power, but also with people of poverty. So uh, we're hoping to open a campus in Africa in the next few years as well. So that's kind of what's on the horizon for Pepperdine, including uh, additional... Um, growth here in Malibu and in Southern California. Once again, we talked about higher education leadership with Jim Gash, and you can find him at pepperdine.edu. Jim, amazing information. It gives a whole new 
angle, a whole new slant, a whole new world to leadership. And just when I thought we pretty much knew everything about leadership, we've talked about it so many times on my show, you've just opened up a whole new world. I just want to thank you so much for sharing and giving us this great information and insight. And I just wish you so much more success at Pepperdine. Thank you, Tony. What a privilege it's been to be with you. God bless you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. I know this was as inspiring for you as it was for me to do this interview. Higher Education Leadership with Jim Gash. We talked about why. Why higher education leadership? We talked about leadership style. Is it important? What's Jim's style? We talked about having a leadership team. Very unique. And what you do with it. We talked about how he's been to Uganda 27 times and how he changed lives, his life and the life of others and around the world, the lives that he changed and how he goes to neighboring countries and helps them too. We talked about how a college quarterback who's a leader can really make a difference because in the huddle, you take people and work out who's the best at what, and you see that they carry out that task and how that fits, how it fits to being a president of a major university. So much stuff we talked about. What did you get out of this? And please, would you tell us how you use this information to help you in your business? Did this interview give you any new ideas? Did it stimulate you to take some action? Please share and grab hold of your vision. Keep working on it. Decide you're either going to start something great for your business or simply take what you have to the next level. You have to decide first. It always starts with a decision. And you can get my vision map to help you along the process. The book is at tonydurso.com slash books. You know I created a sustainable business, my empire, in just a few years. I wrote up the vision map as my guide. You can do it too. And please remember supporting the show with a nice review and or comments on the video platforms. And of course, you can go to tonydurso.com slash review and share this with a few friends to help them too, right? Let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks and remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 